Hi, my name is Bijiba Bigay. I am Bear Clan, born for Many Goats Clan. My maternal grandfather is Wolf Clan, and my paternal grandfather, Red Running Into Water Clan. And I'm from Coleman. When I was listening to your previous interviews, I was happy to see that you're from the Benefreeze area because I don't think people cover that as much. I am from the Bennett Freeze, born and raised. <laughs> the Bennett Freeze lifted um, when I was in my second year of college. Definitely, that has been my my entire life experience. What was that movie with the blue aliens that everybody was like, that's native, if I ever saw? Is it Avatar? Avatar? <laughs> I, for some odd reason, I associate the Bennett Freeze area, the lift of that with that movie. I don't even know why. I don't even think they're in the same like time period. Anyways, yeah, thank you for coming on. I think you've kind of been in the periphery of people I know, specifically through Andrew. Mm-hmm. Um, and more recently, I've been really interested in the histories of like cooperatives and how they've their role in like economic development and community development. So I was pretty excited to see that you like you're you're pretty knowledgeable in that area. I, I would say I jumped onto it. I'm still, you know, fairly new to it. I started in youth development. I was a program director for the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. I, I'd say I started off with this ambition to go that, you know, NGO route <laughs> um, to try to bring opportunity to our communities. What I found was economics. You know, economics was really um, a driving force. I wanted to influence the outcomes by really supporting the local economy. And I didn't see that happening um, through your traditional business uh, structures. And I I came across cooperatives while I was living out in New York by chance. There was a a guy in Buffalo, New York. I can't even remember where I was exactly, but I wandered into this library and there was this guy giving a presentation on Mondragon. And he was talking about how these folks had... um, taken over this company like the owners of the company had left they decided it was no longer profitable and the workers you know they lived in this small community very rural community and they decided well we have all of the expertise we're just going to go in there and run it and we're going to own it i was like so impressed and i continued to go to these co-op 101s that he was giving and so much of it resonated with me you know these folks who were really subject to outside, you know, multinational corporations values, and they were able to turn that around. And so that's really what 
what started the passion for cooperative business. You covered a lot that was in my initial questions about how you became knowledgeable of cooperatives. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because on the res, we don't really think about that, uh, even though we do have like cooperative structures and values in, in place that we kind of live our lives by. But generally, like me personally, I came into cooperatives from reading about Venezuela and China and, and the revolution. And then eventually when I moved to like North Carolina and then there was like a cooperative store, and I was like, oh, these things exist here. <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK. Like in New York, I came home and I was um, looking through the feeds and Change Labs was hosting a Co-op 101 workshop. And so I ran down there. I was introduced to Cooperative Catalyst of New Mexico, um, and I joined on with them, and I am now the co-executive director. I can say that, you know, the the position that I've taken on, um, I have decided to take it in a different direction because traditional co-op 101s are really told through this Eurocentric lens. So, you know, International Cooperative Alliance, if you look at their website, they'll even tell you, you know, co-ops, the earliest known co-op is, I think, in 1761. Um, and these women in this cottage, you know, these local weavers set up in this living room. And I think that was the the forming of the Fenwick Weaver Society. That's what it was. And then from there, it's 1844, the Rochdale Society um, and these pioneers who are um, living in substandard conditions and they can't afford, you know, basic amenities, decide to come together and open a store. They decided that they were going to provide this democratic structure. So all of the members of the store, it just, it absolutely exploded, right? So they're a collective of folks who wanted to address their food insecurity needs. And from that come the seven principles. I'm really trying to step away <laughs> from that cooperative history and that starting point because, you know, these concepts of collective ownership and labor are rooted in traditional indigenous societies all over the world. And it's it's not really a new concept. It's a concept of mutual aid for the benefit of the community. So this Eurocentric perspective of Individual ownership, control, and benefit, um, in my perspective, is really rooted. It's really a foreign concept. If you grew up on the Navajo Nation, indigenous community, you know, these stories of communal farming or communal herding are really prominent. Um, Even on Navajo, when we look at things like the permits, right? Navajo Nation land permits, they're put in individual names but they're held on behalf of a family unit and they were never intended to be used as individual permits. So I think that's, that's um, an underlying value that you see throughout our governing body, although it was given to us in a boilerplate system. That's really for me what the foundation of cooperatives and the beginning of cooperatives are really something that we've all been acquainted with. Right, right. I see usefulness in cooperatives. Similar to what you said is that rather than a boilerplate fashion or like a standard one fits all approach to cooperatives, it's more about like configuring or utilizing like values within a a particular place and the people's from there kind of building something of like a more democratic organization of like the workplace or production or consumption, etc. 
And I, I really appreciate the fact that that's what you're starting with is decentering cooperative history or locating it specifically in Euro, your European history. When, like you said, it's, it's these cooperatives began there, but we also have our own particular instances and values uh, that we uh, practice prior to colonization and, and the uh, increased denomination of like capitalism. Um, yeah. and, and to me, I think that's a great way to kind of introduce people to cooperatives is it, it's how I would have done it. It's, it's more of like thinking about, well, what are the values that we have and how can we build an economic system? And even in some cases beyond that, a political system uh, that reorganizes Navajo society that fits more of our values because during the presidential election, there are a few candidates who are like, we need an economic system and even political system that fits our values and our principles. I, I was curious, you know, if, if you could elaborate a little bit more on like, what are Navajo values of social solidarity that you see as crucial to cooperatives in the Navajo Nation? And I ask this because that's what distinguishes cooperatives from other like private businesses is that it's not necessarily built on values of like, individualism and profit seeking it's more built on like social solidarity i love this question you know i think a lot of times when we talk we use this um, analogy of walking in two worlds right and this very schizophrenic approach to how our culture operates and then having to step outside of that and engage in the western paradigm you know in the in the western paradigm there's a very individual focus, but within our culture, Navajo culture, this concept of eh, right, of family, of relationships, of our clans and our ability to relate to one another and to bring people together, I think is fundamental to who we are, right? So anything that supports that, I'm all on board for. And to me, cooperatives were really the the model that supported that value system of a family of community of engagement of relatability that you want to be inclusive that you want to benefit one another and it really isn't this top down approach it's very egalitarian <laughs> that's really what i what i saw in co-ops it was like oh i get to walk into a grocery cooperative for instance and the produce is something that was grown in you know the tetchitney's farms over there and being able to feel good about supporting that type of structure to me was empowering um, and exciting because you look at the Western paradigm and concepts of family support like that are, are criminal. <laughs> you know, it's, it's those concepts of nepotism. And we always talk about that in our government system it's like well so and so hire the relatives but it you know you take a look around and we're all family we're all related so you know that's been a huge challenge and i feel like this really opens the door to support um those structures and those values that have enabled us to survive decades of genocide and we don't have to negotiate those pieces of who we are away. I, I we spoke previously to this interview about like how we wanted to talk about it, uh, and I I think you described a cooperative as any organization where like the people who are involved in it get a vote, right? Like it's a member, uh -huh. okay. one member, uh, one vote. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 that to me like describes the practice of like at least for me like butchering sheep. Everybody pitches in in different in different ways. You know, it doesn't have to be equal in certain places but you recognize that if you participate you get a share of it um, and yeah. then even 
beyond that, there's also the fact that people, at least in my particular family, I actually shouldn't like exceptionalize my family. Like we're like the greatest family ever, but I imagine <laughs> like Navajo families would then delineate portions of the sheep to people who weren't there but also, you know, like might need extra food. On that point, I think that was across the nation. I was talking to some elders in our community the other day and they were talking about like way back in the day, you know, like people had these massive herds. But if you came over and you were helping, you know, we would, it was expected. It was, it was just this practice of giving to one another. If you were over there herding sheep, then you were given sheep units, you know, like without having to have a paper attached to it. It was just... A practice of mutual benefit, right? And reciprocity. For me, it's always been, uh, and why it fits very well, why I'm interested in it is it's, again, different than the, in my opinion, my humble opinion, uh, <laughs> different from like the, the direction that we've had for economic development, which has just been kind of this individualistic, autonomistic approach to like one small business. When, in my opinion, I've seen so many people have networks like putting things together uh, that reflect, you know, a more collective approach to production. To me, that's something that like I've always been interested in and why it fits my own political beliefs of like socialism, of like why Marx in his like, like how I read it is like he was thinking about like these decentralized work co-ops that would direct the means of production and consumption that's like based on mutual benefit. And, and social reproduction. Sorry, I'm like throwing a bunch of concepts out there. No, but no, like, no. I would, yeah. You know, and, and I, for me, that's like Navajo. Like, I mean, you know, we, we didn't use those terms and I don't think we have to use those terms, but the same kind of themes exist there when it comes to like taking care of our community and taking care of our family that I think is pigeonholed by like these like small business approaches. You know, another thing that I really valued um, and was excited about the cooperative model is they are inherently local. They're inherently rooted in the community. Like you cannot have, um, well, I guess you could have a multinational, but even in, in that situation, you're still resourcing on a local basis, right? Um, and the community is the driving force. So like with a traditional business, you could have somebody from California who comes in and starts a grocery store and they want to change. Sorry. I don't know if you can hear that dinging. Um, oh, it's they want right. to about it. change leadership. And, you know, we don't have any say over who buys up that business, but with a co-op it's owned by the community members. Those are the member owners. And what we know about that structure and that business is they are three times more likely to succeed because they reflect what the community wants. And when you have, you know, your headquarters essentially located into your community, they're going to be in tune with what the community needs are, what the community wants are, you know, what their priorities are going down the road. And, you know, that's, that's something that I really want for my community. That's something that I really want for the neighboring communities. Um, and this practice of outsourcing, I think, I think bringing in cooperatives is really going to move us away from outsourcing. I um, agree. Yeah. I mean, like the, the long dominant economic project on the res has always been mining. It's extremely uh -huh. like centralized outside of the reservation. So that's why some people refer to us as like a resource colony or like on the peripheries of capitalism. 
because with those particular projects, it, control has to be centralized outside of it. Whereas like, like you said, co-ops are inherently localized unless they want to like work with other co-ops. You know, and that was something that I think we were all excited um, when different businesses were proposed. I remember being little and it's like, oh, we might get a Walmart. We might get a Target. <laughs> you know, we might get a shopping mall. <laughs> yeah. And you don't really realize what that means. <laughs> it, it was like, oh, we're going to have jobs. Um, we're going to have uh, the ability to stay here. But what you don't realize is that we're the workforce for somebody else to make a profit. And <laughs> That to me, in, in really understanding how these companies operate, that's not what I want. That's not who I want to be. That's not what I want for my children. You know, I want for us to be the decision makers. I want for my children to be the owners and the operators and the decision makers, not the workforce. And right, right. Gosh, <laughs> I didn't get a PhD <laughs> in geography, so I could be middle management in Walmart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh no this is no shout out uh at, at walmart workers but oh, no, for- yeah yeah um no I, I i think for me that like everything you're saying is right on the mark of why i think cooperatives are useful for this because like you said it's controlled under the folks the people who work there it's more it's like an economic democracy where you know we live in the u.s where like people always talk about democracy liberty equality but it's like that never extends to workplace where in my opinion most i think a a lot of other leftists would agree that like the workplace as it is now is extremely authoritarian with the boss you can fire you whenever you want and labor laws don't really protect you as much your whole means of providing for your family is out of whims of your boss and and rather and and the cooperatives are more like like you said one you, you actually are invested in, in what you're doing because it, it reflects your values, but also kind of you have control of the direction of that particular organization that you're a part of. Yeah. This is another reason now that I'm more attuned to what's happening. You know, when we look at where we are globally, a lot of times I think, um, and this pertains to the elections and conversations around economy is we often point to the Western economy as a successor. But when you take a good look at it, it's failing. It is absolutely failing. If you don't have folks who are able to control their local resources, we're going to be going right down that path with you know the rest of the world. And so putting the decision-making power back in the hands of the community on a business level, on that economic level, to me is something we need to stick into high drive. <laughs> and I thought, you know, oh, co-ops also provide that because you don't have this investment in individual business development, right? You're not looking for one person to develop a grocery store. You're looking for a community of people to develop a grocery store. You're looking for a community of people to develop into the farming agriculture. Sector. You're looking for a community of people to invest in childcare, in aged living in, you know, you name it, you can apply a cooperative model to that. And it really pulls in community um, and it it opens doors. And I think another thing that I was um, interested in is it really champions communities. Um, we're looking at the assets of a community and what that community values rather than what our deficits are. Because when we put ourselves into that 
Western paradigm, there are nothing but deficits and that's by design, you know? So how do we, how do we incorporate our culture, our values, but also deal with where we are economically as indigenous peoples, not because of our own shortcomings, but because of these policies of genocide that have been imposed on us, right? Um, and I'm thinking of places like the Dakotas, you know, where um, the indigenous peoples there were intentionally moved into areas that were difficult to develop. <laughs> And um, there are cooperatives that are propping up there now that are being used to address their um, socioeconomic needs um, and food access issues. So in my opinion, when I see a lot of like why cooperatives are non-existent on the res happens to do with like these large policy decisions on behalf of like the federal government who dictate what kind of development happens on the res, you know, because I read some articles here and there about like how econ tribal economic planners who were usually not native would favor cooperatives because they recognize that there were values that native people had um, that would fit that model. Granted, you know, as I mentioned to you before, it's probably romanticized versions of native people, but regardless, you know, there's still practices in place. And I think a lot of that has been overshadowed by, this is my opinion, have been, has been overshadowed in the seventies with like the unleashing of like neoliberalism and like the entrepreneurial subject, you know, like, and then, you know, ever since then, like, you know, even some like native economists are like oh yeah native people were entrepreneurs before colonialism and it's like that's not true like we were you know to try to retrofit history to fit that doesn't make sense and it's also part of like a larger neoliberal project that you mentioned right now that i think is a good point is that neoliberalism in the u.s economy and its like own political hegemonies and decline uh <laughs> that like we don't really want to be tied to that like it's kind of titanic like we, we got to figure out our own thing our own like lifeboat um yeah so yeah I, I think everything you're talking about has been like uh just festering in the back of my mind when i'm like reading about economic development and i'm listening to these presidential forums and i'm like ah here we go again which I, very few of them have mentioned cooperatives i need to touch base with um andrew curley because i i always know i always hear him on different podcasts and he's like doing interviews and talking <laughs> about well you know cooperative yeah. or what what the intention of the chapters, you know, the, the chapters were organized to be cooperatives. And I'm like, I want to know that history. And this is the interesting thing about it is I don't know where it actually came from, but I know that there are cooperative statutes on the Navajo Nation. And I don't know of any other Native nation that has a statute specifically for cooperatives. Um, it was uh, January 30th, 1986. That's where the statute is from. And in there, it's, you know, this, what would I say? I'll just quote it for you. It says, you know, we have the ability to enter into management contracts and joint venture agreements for the mutual benefit of our members. You know, so somebody thought this was a really great idea. This is a really great model. <laughs> and we have the ability to move forward on it, but nobody knows about it. Nobody really talks about it other than Andrew Curley. So I need to pick his brain at some point and or <laughs> Annie up and explain to me, you know, where he's finding these documents. But um, yeah, that was something I was like, is that something that came from the BIA? Is that something that people on the Navajo Nation were like, you know, this model fits um, our traditional practices? Uh, I don't know. I don't know where it came from, but I'm glad it's there. for sure. Yeah, I was really surprised when he sent me that. I was like, holy, like, we have this. I mean, it's so hidden too. like, it's like, what, 
the one thousandth and sixteenth. Oh age. god! <laughs> it's oh, like god. way back yeah. there. Uh, like everybody that out yeah right right it's like everybody's like oh we need to fix title two and it's like completely overshadows <laughs> that little portion <laughs> or like we need to fix the uh, local governance act of was it title 26 i think mm-hmm. um but like you know all of that and i and i think you're right in some ways it's it comes down to how we organize ourselves economically that's useful in this case because we're kind of starting from the bottom up to me that really requires not just like the ability to like form these cooperatives but really readjust people's thinking about what that means yeah for sure i think um you know we've been doing a lot of i came from both sides my mother's uh tuscarora of new york and being um in new york on the east coast you've been there there are cooperatives everywhere (laughs) yeah (laughs) cooperatives have been established it's on it's east of us everywhere else and there are hardly any out here. So a big piece of it for us has been educating people on what a cooperative is. And I think a lot of times people are like, oh, it's a business. So it has to fit within that traditional business structure. And if it doesn't, it's hard for people to grasp. And it's like, no, it's, you know, it's very simple. Um, And we've just gone along with the one member, one vote owned by its members, controlled by its members, and it benefits its members. If it has those three components, we're going to call it a cooperative, whether you incorporate it or not. And that's been a huge challenge for us in um, providing services to cooperatives out here is, you know, whether or not they decide to incorporate with the state or with the nation. I know of other Indigenous co-ops outside of Arizona, off the Navajo Nation, who are having to incorporate as foreign entities. Um, to make this business structure fit. I, it's going to be an uphill battle, but I, I really have the utmost optimism for what we could accomplish because of the communal aspect of it, because of the value for eh, that I see is intrinsically rooted into a cooperative system. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. And I think once they get hold of some ground, they're going to take off. That kind of brings us into more of our second half of this interview, which is kind of talking about not necessarily the logistics or the ins and out of cooperatives, but grounding it in, in, I guess, policy. I don't know if that's the best way to describe it, because these are more, I imagine the questions I ask you will response more, will kind of entail a more grounded response and policy decisions, Uh, you know, and that's in this, this, and this question that I'm going to ask is, you know, what are the current challenges and obstacles of starting a cooperative in the Navajo Nation? Finance. <laughs> like every other business out there, trying to get the funding um, to support these initiatives is challenging because of situations like rural addressing, for instance, right? Trying to get a business registered on the Navajo Nation if folks decided to incorporate, because you need a bank account, right? Um, to handle your finances, trying to pick an address on the nation. So many rejections have come back. That's that's a piece that I'm just really racking my head around and breathing deeply, <laughs> pushing forward, trying to address that. Um, and I kept thinking, oh, why don't we just do some credit unions? You know, that's a possibility. That's another solution that we could create. Um, not only for co-ops, but for surrounding businesses and open up opportunities for folks who are looking to get a grant 
how we could support our communities in that way as well. So I'm that's sorry, one piece that, of it. Finally. Get a grant, you said? Yeah. So like, you know, banks, um, occasionally they hand out funding to give grants through a credit union. That's possible. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just want to double check because you kind of cut out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like cooperatives face a lot of the similar issues that people talk about when they're discussing starting a small business on the Navajo Nation. The bureaucratic process, for sure. You know, another challenge that we have and what we're hoping to do and um, is do a deep dive on the cooperative statutes on Navajo because even folks who are in business on Navajo don't know about these statutes or, you know, what are the tax laws that govern them and the tax situation, the double tax on the nation is a huge challenge as well. When I hear these discussions of small businesses, I don't want to necessarily tune it out because I think they're useful, but also, you know, I never really thought about how those issues would be related to cooperatives. And it makes sense now because, you know, I took the very simplistic understanding. A lot of reservations are considered resource rich, but capital poor. And so like the biggest issue, like you said, is like financing. How do we get capital to support this? That's something that I thought was really interesting. Um, we've been working with a number of um, startups yeah. and some of them, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, they're keeping their money in a shoebox that everyone's aware of, you know, and it's like, oh gosh, you know, we got to figure out how to address these issues so that people can get a bank account. Others of them are trading in produce. You know, they're like, Going back to a very traditional concept of an economy that's based outside of the dollar, right? Or taking a sheep and saying, well, this sheep is worth $100 and this is what I'm going to trade for it, you know? And I thought that was really interesting is just getting away from the dollar economy in a way. Yeah. And to like support community on such a local level, like these farmers are, you know, accessing resources, they're exchanging goods and um, they're doing it under a cooperative model. Yeah. I, I like that idea of like having a, a, a currency that isn't necessarily tied to the U S dollar. <laughs> like, I mean, that's kind of what they're doing in the East right now, like between Russia and China. They're like, yeah, we're going to have to figure out our own way of get delinking ourselves from this. And I and because and I feel like it's really difficult for us because we're like right in the middle of like a settler colonial state that's in decline of its hegemony and economic system. So there's more of an urgency for us to kind of figure our economic development out quickly, but also uh, in a manner that uh, I guess reflects self determination. Two final questions. You kind of briefly touched upon this, so I feel like this next question might not require too much of an elaboration. But, you know, my I think for me, we've kind of implied that cooperatives can change the way we think about economic development and then transforming the economy, the Navajo economy. I, I was curious, is there any other things you wanted to mention before I move on, just like related to that question of how cooperatives can change the direction of the Navajo economy as well as the Navajo economy itself? I know that cooperatives would move us away from outsourcing. And I, I mentioned that um, I think it would create a cyclic economy. Um, and I think it would enable us to base our economy and what we value on a local level. 
um, rather than having to get on board with the failing Western economy. And, you know, all of those things, it, it begs this question of what would that look like to have a thriving economy that's locally um, rooted and would open up space for people to come back, right? Um whether you have people, I saw this uh, co-op, I thought it was really interesting. They started as an agricultural cooperative and then they moved into a partnership with a grocery cooperative and the grocery cooperative set up right next to this farm, right? And then it created all of these entrepreneurs in between there because there were people who were making like eye creams (laughs) from the little herb garden, you know? And I just see so much space for value add. And to me, like the idea of my community who's been subject to the Bennett freeze, right? Um, 43 years of oppression, not being able to fix the door, um, fix the roof, being able to create these thriving business models that are rooted in our community is exciting is incredibly exciting to me. And I I say that too, because, you know, we've been exploited um, for things like uranium, and that had a huge devastating impact on the surrounding areas. And when we're talking about people who don't have running water and electricity, well, what if we had a co-op, a utility co-op that addressed our water needs? What if we had a utility co-op that addressed our electricity needs, you know, and what do those things mean for folks in this region? You know, I'm running my system right now off of solar, and that means that my children can access an education. It means that I can work from my traditional dwelling, walk out and take care of my livestock, which is a fundamental value that I have as a traditional person. That ability for community to come together to support one another, to meet their needs, um, when you've been deprived of your most basic human necessities, oh gosh, you know, I just see incredible opportunity, absolutely incredible opportunity because we are about like, we are such rich people in our own ways. And I would love to see that empowered. Yeah. I mean, that transitions beautifully into my last question, which was, uh, you know, what, is there a connection between uh, between decolonization and cooperatives? I think um, cooperatives are a tool. And like any tool, they can be used for good. <laughs> they can be used for bad. Or they can be used, you know, in any way, shape, or form that you, you see that um, they're needed. And absolutely for decolonization. This is one of those things that I always think is interesting because you have nations like Onondaga, right? Who refuse to adopt an electoral system of governance, right? That boilerplate system of governance who have retained their clan mothers and their chiefs and um, really want to support that traditional perspective. And then you have places like the Navajo Nation, um, which has an elected system of governance. And whether or not um, we want to move towards a more traditional governance or whether or not we want to move towards, you know, something that's, I think we've been described as adaptive is entirely up to the people. And that's really what I'm trying to 
push and promote is that self-determination where we get to prioritize what it is we want for ourselves. That's a, like a, a good question. I want to know what you, how you define decolonization. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I guess <laughs> in the broadest terms, a reassertion of tribal self-determination of us yep. being able to determine these things on our own. It's going to be messy. It's not going to be perfect, um, especially with the imbrication of, or I guess how entangled capitalism is to tribal governance and economic development that it's it's not going to necessarily be very easy and it's going to require a lot of experiment but if we kind of start now and we're able to identify what values we want to do or follow it could it could take time and and less of a top-down approach and thinking more in line of like starting bottom up uh so yeah i mean for me i always stress self-determination and i think cooperatives provide that uh, and they are they cooperatives can address some of the issues that a lot of like Navajo economists or people who claim they're got economic training, even me, that are like always talk about like economic development is, oh, we got to be competitive or, you know, we have to develop our capacity and we have to keep people on the res. But it's like, I think cooperatives can be competitive. I think they can develop Navajo people's capacity towards democratic organizing that reflect kind of more of what we were before and also keep people on the res, like you said, you know as well as like if you're able to direct yourself economically and politically then i think you'll be able to address the issues of like cultural revitalization as well and those don't have to be separated they could be the same thing you know with respect to like everything that's going on right now around the election this concept of localizing right as a form of empowerment i've heard that so many times but what does that actually look like i don't know what plan they have in place for us, but I would prefer if that was in the hands of the community. And to me, that's really what cooperatives are, is bringing back that power and control and that say over our resources on, a mo on the most fundamental level. So that's why I'm pro-cooperatives.